Kija. Namacharya Shilharidas Sakura Kija. Brain Shikor Shikrishna Jaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Doita Gadadhar Shikasati Gora Bhakti Kija. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopinashana Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Kija. Vrindavan Dhamma Kija. Vrindavan Kija. Nabhati Mayapodam Kija. Puridam Kija. Ganga Mai Juna Devi Kija. Bhakti Devi Kija. Tosi Maharani Kija. Samaveta Bhakti Vrindi Kija. Gaur All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Shri-mati-bhakti-vedanta-sohamiti-namane-namaste-sarasvati-deve-gorsvam-vitarni-namaste-sasana-nani-pasvati-deva-gorsvam-vitarni-namaste-sasana-nani-pasvati-deva-g
Actually, I was just reading in the third canto where Prabhupada says how amazing it is that a conditioned soul cannot see the Lord who's in his own heart. Vidhi sitena harina. Hari is sitena, staying in the heart. And Prabhupada said, at least you should be able to see God in your own heart if you can't see him anyplace else. But why can't we see the Lord in the heart? Because it's not so easy to see the Lord as a friend. And if you don't see the Lord as a friend, he doesn't like to show himself to you. I'm thinking, what does it mean that he's a, a friend? So I was just staying for a couple weeks at my son's house, and he was setting up some of my electronic devices for me. And he says, oh, Mata, what's your email and password? What's your password for Skype? What's your password for this? So what does it mean if someone's your friend? You what? You trust them. Right? I assume we don't give our passwords to everybody. <laughs> so you trust them. You know, then I'm thinking, should I change my password? That's what a friend means. You trust that the person has your benefit in mind. Therefore, Prabhupada translates Suridam Sarabhutana, again the word rid, Surid in the heart, as the benefactor, someone who's your benefactor, someone who cares about your benefit. So I trust that my son cares about my benefit, that he's not going to use this information to hurt me, that in fact, not only is he not going to use it to hurt me, I trust that he's going to use it for my benefit, to do something for me. Yes, isn't that what we think of as a friend? That I trust that whatever they're going to do, that they're, whatever they're going to say is going to be for my benefit, they're not going to go behind my back and say, mm, you know, that is but to my face they're smiling. That they're going to think about my happiness. What do I like? What will be good for me? And an enemy is just the opposite. An enemy is somebody who's trying to hurt me. Who's thinking, how can I hurt that person? What can I do to make their life miserable? Hmm? But do we always think of Krishna as our benefactor? Prabhupada talks about how some people... They only worship God when everything's good, and some people they only worship God when everything's bad. One time in, in London, I don't know if you know Kalangana, very famous lady in London. So she and I, uh, very, very old, she's in her 80s now. So she and I were taking a Joppa walk, and as we were walking, one other woman asked, came and asked us for directions. And Kalangana said, well, you were going the same way, you can walk with us. So as she's walking with us, Kalangana totally embarrassed me by preaching to this lady very heavily, you know, and telling her, you should be chanting Hare Krishna along with us. I'm like, oh my God. So this, this woman said, well, why? Kalangana said, well, everybody should take shelter of the Lord and pray to the Lord. And she said, well, I'm not having any problems now. Why should I pray? I only pray when I'm having problems. So some people are like that, right? As long as life is good, they're thinking, I'm the controller, I don't need any benefactors. I don't need anyone to take care of me. I don't need any friends. I'll take care of myself. And other people, uh, they only pray to the Lord when things are going well, when things are going badly. Then they think, where's God? How is he my friend? Where is he from me now? I was reading about some woman on her deathbed, and she said, my whole life was ruined. I worked hard my whole life, and now I'm ready to retire, and I get cancer right when I'm about to retire and finally enjoy life at the age of 70. 
And her daughter says, why don't you think of God at the time of death? So it's useless, God. Killing me as soon as I'm ready to retire. So some people, they only like God when they're happy. I mean, we can examine when are we the most Krishna conscious, when everything's good or when everything's bad. And how do we think about Krishna when things don't go our way? You know, do we only think of Krishna as our benefactor when we get exactly what we wanted? Oh, I really wanted something. I got it. That happens to us sometimes, right? I remember as a very new member of the Hare Krishna movement thinking one morning, oh, I'd really like a piece of Maha Burfi. And two minutes later, somebody comes and gives me a piece of Burfi. I'm like, yes, God is good. But do we say that when things don't go our way? You know, when somebody steals our computer or somebody criticizes us or we lose the service we wanted to do or whatever. Do we always think, yes, God is good. Yes, he's my benefactor. You know, I was talking to one devotee yesterday who said, how come I've been chanting Hare Krishna for so many years and I'm still not a pure devotee? Maybe there's no God. These are called demons of doubt. So here it's saying that if we really want to be a devotee, we see God as our friend. And the demons, they see God as their enemy. The demons are thinking that God is like a, some kind of a dictator. Like Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati calls Krishna the transcendental autocrat. So especially in modern society, we don't like autocrats, huh? Especially in America, we don't like autocrats. We like to pretend in America that we have a classless society. We have a sociologist when they study different cultures. Different cultures are different levels of hierarchy or egalitarianism. So America is the second in the world in terms of being having this mood of egalitarianism. Do you know what the first one is? Australia. Yes, that's right. So we have we like to have this idea here that we don't like any autocrats. Nobody should be able to tell anybody else what to do. So the demons think of Krishna as a transcendental autocrat. They think he must be somebody like, you know, Saddam Hussein or Hitler or someone who just tells everyone else what to do so he can exploit them. When the demons hear that Krishna is the supreme enjoyer, they think, oh, Krishna must be uh, like some kind of vacuum machine that just sucks out all the enjoyment from all other living entities and takes it all for himself. We have to be servants of God. You see this in the general materialistic mentality. How many parents bring up their children and say, now when you grow up, I want you to become a servant. Any of your parents say that to you? When you grow up, please become a butler or a maid. Be a hotel worker who cleans the rooms in the hotel. That's your ideal work. Oh, we don't like this idea of servant. I remember... My mother, when I was trying to preach to her about Krishna consciousness, and I was talking to her about how we're all servants of God, and she said, I don't like that idea. <laughs> she said, actually, you know, when I say the prayers, when I go to my own, her own place of worship, she said, when I say the prayers, whenever it says something about we're servants of God, or I, she said, I skip that part. I don't want to say that. So this is the demoniac. My, my mother ended up having a nice leaving of her body. But anyway, this is the demoniac point of view. I don't want to be a servant. I don't want to be enjoyed. And if somebody is the master and if somebody is the autocrat and if somebody is the enjoyer, they must be evil. 
Of course, in this world, when somebody is the autocrat and the enjoyer, they generally are evil. If somebody is enjoying and I'm the enjoyed, that generally means that they're taking my enjoyment for themselves and I'm not getting any. Isn't that what generally happens? Yes? We think of, you know, the rich people, they're getting their wealth by exploiting the poor people. So we think God must be like that too. That if Krishna is the center, then we must all be just sort of empty automatons. In fact, we even see in our Hare Krishna movement that there are devotees who preach that surrender to Krishna means something like that. It's quite interesting. They'll say, if you really surrender to Krishna, you don't have any desires, you don't have any will, you just become like an empty shell automaton. Yes, what do you want me to do, sir? Often they think like that, that just doing what Krishna desires and just being a servant means I, I lose any sense of self and I lose any enjoyment. I've heard some of devotees say, if you enjoy your service, that's maya. And you know you're really surrendered when you're hating your service, when you're not getting any pleasure out of it at all. So that's coming from this view that God is the enemy. That God wants to harm us. That he doesn't have our best interests in mind. That he doesn't really care about us. And if I think that God is my enemy, if I think that he wants to harm me, then what am I going to do? I'm going to try to run my own life. Yes? And ultimately I'm going to try to run the whole universe like these demons here at Yikashipu and here on Yaktar. They that well, God's the enemy. He doesn't have my best interest in mind. So let me do things my way. Just like Hiranyi Kashyapu, we were reading earlier in this section, when he was in charge of everything, this is going to sound very familiar, he made the plants bear fruit in all seasons of the year. Just like nowadays you can go to the supermarket and you can buy a mango any time of the year. Right? There's no sense of season. People don't even have a, an idea anymore that there is a season. So this is what Hirani Kashifu did. Now he didn't do it by sending fruit all over the world in airplanes, but he did it by forcing all of the vegetation by his mystic power to produce all year. He thought, oh, that would be much better. And I'm going to run the universe in a better way. And he stopped all sacrifices. This, of course, goes on in the communist countries. No religion. No, God. This worship of God is just destroying your brain, Mark said. So this is what happens when one thinks God is an enemy. And frankly, even those who take to religious life may still have this idea. So while externally saying, yes, God is my friend, God is my friend, God is my friend, that's not really what's going on in their heart. What's going on in their heart is God is my enemy. I mean, anyone who preaches that surrender to God is evidenced by misery is, is thinking like that. What does Krishna say? When you directly experience Krishna consciousness, you will experience not only sukham, but sukham. Yes, yakna supersedity. This is what will actually satisfy the self. So if you're really in Krishna consciousness, you're going to be joyful. Why? Because Krishna is the benefactor. Krishna is telling us to serve him, not because he wants to exploit us. He doesn't need to exploit us. He's already 
complete. He doesn't need anything from us. He's telling us to serve him because that's going to bring us happiness. His happiness is our happiness. Krishna knows that when we make our happiness his happiness, then his happiness becomes our happiness. Do you understand that? He knows that that's how it works. That if I think, okay, my happiness is my happiness, I can't be happy. Now we always give the example of the hand trying to enjoy separate from the stomach. So the stomach knows that if the hand's going to be happy, it has to put food in the mouth. That's how the hand becomes healthy. So Krishna knows if you want to become happy, you have to be connected. You have to have the right center. This is just reality. Reality is that I'm not the center. I'm definitely not the center. If all of you make me happy, that will not make all of you happy. It just won't work. Isn't it? You're not all part of me. And my family isn't the center. If my own family is happy, is that going to make everybody in the world happy? No. My country isn't the center. Is America the center? So many people are not Americans. I'm sure many people in this room are not Americans. So if America's happy, are you all going to be happy? No. Is the earth the center? We made the whole earth happy. Is the earth the center? No. Then all the people on Venus and Mars and Alpha Centauri, they're not going to be happy. Even the sun isn't the center. Even the universe isn't the center. It doesn't include everything. So Krishna, as the benefactor, says, if you want to be happy, you have to please the real center, which includes everything. It's not that we're separate from Krishna. So when we really believe this, when we really believe that Krishna is my benefactor, then we become a devotee, actually. You know, it's not so easy to become a devotee. It's not just like you put on these funny clothes. And you put some tilak on, learn the little rituals, Pam Hogasp, and all these little things. Now, what's happening, what really makes you a devotee is what's your mentality? Is Krishna my friend or is Krishna my enemy? So, if we really think Krishna is our friend, we will trust him. We trust him. You can direct my life. And he's directing our life anyway. Again, the Krishna is in the heart. Krishna, it says here, although Krishna is in their heart, the Krishna is not in the heart as a, as a spy. <laughs> and to ruin us. Oh, I know what they want. I'm going to give them just the opposite. That's the... Krishna's in the heart as a friend. He's directing our wanderings according to our desire. Do you know that Krishna always gives us whatever we desire? That's a real friend, and he has the capacity to do that. So when we trust Krishna, we trust Krishna's fulfilling my desires. If I'm getting the wrong things, it's because I have the wrong desires. It's not Krishna's fault. If I'm experiencing things I don't like, it's because I, I place the wrong order. Chum. 
You ever place an order for something and you get it and you're like, oh, why did I get this? That's his body, folks. Now we place this order. This is what we want. Whatever we're getting is what we want. Who's the fool? Not Krishna. Me. I'm the fool. I said, Krishna, Krishna, I want this. He said, okay. Here you go. So we let Krishna direct our life instead of our trying to direct our life ourselves. And we start cultivating the desires that Krishna says we should have. We say to Krishna, you know, I've had all these funny desires for this and that and the other thing. And all it's gotten me is this thing. Anybody really happy with this thing? Anybody look in the mirror and go, perfect. Does it always work the way you want? It's awful, I'm sorry. But it's really awful. And say, Krishna, I don't know what to want. What, what should I want? Then he says, well, what you should want is, you should want to love me, you should want to serve me, you should want to serve the devotees. You should want to realize your Swarup, and you should want to go back to home, back to Godhead, and be in your eternal position. You should want to be free of the most material nature. That's what you should want. And then I trust and I say, okay, that's what I'm going to try to want. I'm not going to cultivate all these other desires which got me into so much trouble. I'm going to cultivate the desires you say I should cultivate. And I trust how my life unfolds. I trust that there's someone directing everything. I trust that there is a director and producer to the show and that he knows what he's doing. And even the things that from my perspective look terrible are not so. That I'm not able to judge. Are we able to judge? Sometimes something happens and you think it's great and it's not so great. Yes, does this happen? And sometimes something happens and it's terrible and you find that it's actually not terrible. Does this happen to everybody? Happens to me. Or I make a plan thinking I get this, it'll be good, and I get it, and it's not good, and I make something happens, I think, oh, it'll be terrible if that happens. In fact, it's just happened to me at Laguna Beach. I had made a plan to be there at a certain time because I wanted to go to a certain part of the program and not go to a different part of the program, and the program started two hours late. (laughs) So the part of the program that I thought I wanted to miss was exactly the part of the program that I went to. And the part of the program that I wanted to go to was going to happen at 10 o'clock at night, so I didn't go to that at all. And I was so happy with it, but I got there for what I got there for. I said, wow. What I thought was bad was good, and what I thought was good was bad. It was just fascinating. So we trust how Krishna's arranging my life is perfect. And once I say to Krishna, Krishna, from this day on, I am yours. And Lord Singhadev is quoted in the Bhaktivedanta Sindhu, is saying that anyone who says that, from that day he becomes my personal ward. You know, when Prahlad Maharaj saw Nasingadev, he says, oh, there's my friend. Nasingadev didn't look like a friend. Even the demigods, even Lakshmi, when they saw the Lord as Nasingadev, they were scared. I think the demigods are pushing Lakshmi, goes, and she's on, he goes. And Prahlad Maharaj said, oh, here's my friend. He said, I'm not afraid of your blood-soaked mane. And your sharp teeth. And the was really angry also. It wasn't that he was just 
like some purring cat. He was ferocious and angry. He was pulled out of any catch in his heart and threw it across the room, you know. And the thing and Palazzo was my friend. He said, I'm not afraid of your wedge-shaped ears and your garland of intestines. So however the Lord appears to us and devotee sees, here's my friend. Like when Prabhupada was in Calcutta uh, during World War II and the bombs were falling, he said, oh, there's a universal form. And there's destruction. And there's God as time. So we trust Krishna when he says what kind of desires we should have. We trust Krishna when he says how we should live. We trust Krishna when he gives us the process for perfection. We trust Krishna how he unfolds our life. We, we trust him with our secrets. Right? Just like I gave my son my passwords. So we, we're able to open our heart to Krishna and tell him the reality of our life. We're not trying to deceive him. We tell Krishna that I have this desire, I have this problem, I have that problem, please help me. We don't go to Krishna and saying something we don't mean. A friend of mine just told me a story. Uh, one of her friends was in Vrindavan and went before the deities and said, Oh, Radisham, I just want to stay in Vrindavan forever. I never want to leave. And she walked out of the temple and someone stole her purse that <laughs> had her passport in it. And her immediate thought was, Oh my God, how am I going to get back to Hong Kong? <laughs> so don't deceive Krishna. You know, don't tell him I really want to stay in Vrindavan. And then as soon as your passport is gone, instead of saying, great, I get to stay, so oh my God, I'm going to go home. Right? Be honest, he's a friend. And we can be honest and say, my dear Lord, I am fallen in so many ways. Please help me. I have this desire. I have this problem. I have this attachment. Help me deal with it. And something like we're not going to really get into today, but another part of seeing Krishna as our friend is not just that Krishna is my benefactor, but I am Krishna's benefactor. That not only do I trust God, but that God can trust me. That I am going to work from His benefit. So this we can ask ourselves, do I really trust Krishna? You know, if we don't trust Krishna, who are we trusting? Our family, they'll take care of me. Can your family take care of you? Even if they want to, can they? Can your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, can they prevent you from getting sick or getting hurt or getting poor? Or can they do that? Even if they want to? No. Who are we going to trust? Our friends? Can they do that? Our country, even our spiritual society, ourselves. I'm going to trust myself. Has that worked out for anybody? Hasn't worked out for me. <laughs> I don't always do what's best for myself. I don't always make the best plans for myself. So if I don't trust God, it's not that I'm just not trusting. I'm trusting something else. I'm trusting myself, or I'm trusting my friends, or I'm trusting the company I work for, or I'm trusting the organization that I'm a part of, or I'm trusting somebody or something. They're going to be my shelter. This is going to be my shelter. This is going to be my shelter. This is going to be my shelter. And the Bhagavatam says they're all what? Fallible soldiers. They're like plastic soldiers. 
They're like a picture of a soldier. Plastic soldier. Can't really fire a gun, do anything. A little wind and just go over. So do I really trust Krishna? And what's interesting is when one really trusts Krishna, one doesn't become a slave, one doesn't lose one's individuality, one doesn't get all the energy and pleasure sucked out of one for somebody else, but exactly the opposite. One gets filled with happiness, one gets filled with, ironically, freedom. When one actually trusts Krishna, and when Krishna can trust us, then Krishna gives us our natural freedom because we're trustworthy and we're cooperative. So we can also judge because we might say, well, I trust Krishna. How happy are we? How free do we feel? How much are all of our senses illumined by knowledge? These are the symptoms. Like it says in the 11th canto, if you eat food, you get nourishment, satisfaction and relief from hunger. And Prabhupada says, you should know if you're making advancement. You don't have to ask someone else for a certificate. Excuse me, am I advanced in Krishna consciousness? Like you don't say to someone, have I eaten enough? Did I, did I eat? You know if you've eaten or not. So one knows the evidence of trusting Krishna is one's life becomes filled with joy and freedom. One starts to see everything in the right perspective. Whereas these demons, Hiranyakashipu, who didn't trust Krishna, who thought the Lord in his heart was an enemy, he was always drunk on strong-smelling wines. The happy people, are they intoxicated all the time? No, happy people don't need to take intoxication. And he was always yelling at the demigods for no reason. Another evidence of an unhappy person. So when you think God's your enemy and try to run your own life and take shelter of fallible soldiers, life becomes miserable. And when we trust Krishna as a friend, life becomes happy. And imagine a whole society where everybody trusted Krishna. So that's what we're trying to do in our international society for Krishna consciousness. To have a society where each one of us trusts that Krishna is my friend and that Krishna trusts each of us that they are my friend. So do we have time for questions or? Yes. Hi, Thank you for a wonderful class. All right, Krishna. One thing that we were discussing on Saturday, I like your perspective. I guess I were shaking. They were so angry, even the demigods in Washington were, they were shaking. Yeah. But it was that real anger. Because obviously, if you look at the, go all the way back to the beginning of this story, you know, it's a guy and giant. You know, you're just play acting as my enemies so I can come and have a good fight. But it doesn't seem like it, you know. Externally, it seems like this is real anger. Like I said, we're picking the heart out. No, that's real anger. <coughs> what we experience in this world is just a perverted reflection. Anger is one of the rasas. There's 12 rasas. One of the rasas is anger. So in this world, we sometimes try to get pleasure by anger. Political rallies, people are trying to get pleasure by anger. That's not real anger. In this world, what we experience is anger doesn't, I mean, actually what we experience is joy in this world doesn't bring us real pleasure. <laughs> when you experience anger in this world, it just literally floods your body with chemical poisons. Literally poisons your body. And it, it just leads to regret, isn't it? Embarrassment and regret. But no, when a singer day enjoys anger, he says, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. And it's, it's full of love. 
Oh, we have some experience of loving anger. I always give the example that when my youngest son was about nine, he didn't know how to swim yet, and he had a friend over he was playing with, and all of a sudden we didn't see them. You know, where are they? Some other kid who was over said, oh, they took the inflatable boat and went in the river. You know, he didn't know how to swim. And the river across the street from us led to a waterfall. So he's with his friend in this little inflatable boat in this river that's headed towards a waterfall, and he doesn't know how to swim. You know, so I run to the river. So was I just like, oh, would you get out of the boat, please? Oh, I was angry. What are you doing, you crazy kid? So, you know, we have some idea of loving anger, yes? Prabhupada says that the devotees can experience real anger, uh, sometimes in preaching. We can get angry at the atheists. Yes? Somebody was telling me about an article that appeared in the New York Times the other day, where this woman was talking about how glad she was that she had a late-term abortion. So she was pregnant with twins, and one of them was diagnosed as having some kind of a physical defect. And so the doctor said, well, you should just kill your baby. And she, she was talking about she was killing the baby, she was saying. So we decided we were going to kill the baby. She wasn't using any euphemistic terms. And she said, but we thought, better to kill him when he's nice and safe and warm in the womb. She says, so, you know, I watched during the procedure while they stuck a spike into his heart you know, and killed him. That's what she said. Oh my God. Yeah. This was an article promoting how wonderful late-term abortions are. So I felt angry reading this. There's some use for anger. You know, that's like saying, so your child's born defective. So I'll, I'll hold him in my arms and pierce his heart while he's in my arms so he can die in a nice warm I thought they're promoting killing any handicapped people, basically. So after your child's born, if they get in an accident when they're five and they're handicapped, then kill them. Kill them in a nice, warm place. Doesn't that make you angry? Don't you feel angry? That such things are being propagated in society? So there's, there's a use for anger. We're, we're not uh, impersonalists who say that bliss is just Om Shanti. And wouldn't that be boring after all? <laughs> so we have all, all, all the rasas are there. Actually, Lord Nisingade, he's, he's enjoying this, this loving anger, and he's also enjoying ghastliness. Prabhupada says, if you want to enjoy the ghastly rasa, you can worship Nisingade pretty ghastly. I mean, we're wearing a flower garland. Could you imagine if I was sitting up here wearing an intestine garland? <laughs> it would be ghastly. <laughs> so like, it's ghastly. But it was a pleasure. Again, we have some idea in this world. People who watch horror movies, they're trying to enjoy this ghastly rust. Is that it right? Thank you. Anything else? Yes. Especially in the beginning when we're first trying to 
the sacrifices. Well, this is a whole other class. I'll do this very briefly. Sarvagatam Brahma Nitya Yagya Pratistita. The all-pervading Brahman. How do you find God? He's everywhere. Which also relates to this story. Sarvagatam Brahma. Like when this when Arani asked Pulad, where's your God? He's everywhere. Sarvagatam Brahma. How are you going to find him? Where are you going to find God? Where does he stay? Here it's saying, Riddhi Sitam, staying in the heart. But in the fourth chapter, Krishna says, Nitya, eternally, Yagya, sacrifice, Pratistitam. You will always find God staying where there's sacrifice. If you want to find God, you have to sacrifice. Or when Krishna is talking to Brahma and he says, Tapasa Vidayam Sakshad, Atmaham Tapasa. Tapasa Vidayam Sakshad. Krishna is saying, Tapasya is my heart. Atmaham, my very self, is Tapasya. How do you know somebody loves you? We're talking about how we know we love somebody, we trust them. How do we know that somebody loves us? Yes, exactly. They're willing to sacrifice. So I always give this example of the song, and it's really funny because I was someplace recently where they were actually playing this song. <laughs> where was I? Boston. In Boston. And, and we were out buying something from my deities, and one of the stores was playing this song, and I said, I always use that song as an example. And it was this song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Ain't No River Wide Enough to Keep Me From Getting to You. You all remember that song? That's love. Of course, materially, that's not true. If anybody in this world tells you there's no mountain too high and no river too wide, they're lying. <laughs> because if the mountain's high enough and the river's wide enough, they'll stop loving you. You know that story by Franz Kafka, Metamorphosis? You all familiar with that story? The guy wakes up and he's a giant cockroach. And his family become horrified. You know, if the person you love the most, if you went to wake them up in the morning and they were there was a giant cockroach in their bed, would you love them? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but love means no matter what, and love means sacrifice. You cannot love without sacrifice. Therefore, Krishna says, "You find me. Where do you find God in sacrifice?" He says, sacrifice is my heart and it is my very self. Well, guess what? God is all joyful. So guess what? Sacrifice must actually be joyful. Isn't that odd? The word tapa literally means pain. And we think of sacrifice doing something painful that you don't like. So the bottom rung, the vikarmis, they're trying to enjoy without sacrifice. If you try to enjoy without sacrifice, that's like going to a store and you buy something and you don't pay for it. What's that called? Stealing. So that's vikarma. So vikarma is, I want to enjoy without sacrifice. But you can't. Because all enjoyment is based on loving Krishna. And love means sacrifice. 
So the next level, the karmis, they figure out, oh, I gotta pay for things. So they do some sacrifice to enjoy. So this is the people, you know, the, the pious people in the world. And now we're talking about Rajagun. That was Tamagun. This is Rajagun. So the Rajagun people, they say, let me be a pious person. Pious person means I want sex, I get married. I have children. I take care of my wife. I take care of my husband. I take care of my children. I want money. I pay my taxes. That's like a pious person, right? Makes sense to everybody? But on, when you're on the level of karma, your sacrifices feel like sacrifices. You get a little pleasure from the pleasure. Not much, but you get something. And your sacrifices feel like sacrifices. Therefore, mode of passion is mixed happiness and distress. Mode of ignorance is just distress. In the mode of ignorance, because you're trying to enjoy without sacrifice, your enjoyment becomes a sacrifice. You're in, therefore, Krishna says, in the mode of ignorance, everything is miserable. If you steal something, do you enjoy the thing you stole? Can you really enjoy it? Anybody here ever steal something? I stole something when I was five. I stole a little spoon from kindergarten because I had a set at home that was missing the spoon. They had the spoon. So I stole the spoon. I never enjoyed that spoon. I didn't bring it back, unfortunately, but I didn't enjoy it. Why? Hasn't, am I the only one here who's ever stolen anything? So why don't you enjoy something that you steal? Guilt and anxiety. You know, maybe my parents will ask me where I got this spoon from. And then I'll get in trouble. So when you're trying to enjoy without sacrifice, you're always filled with anxiety and there can only, in order to be happy, you have to have peace. So the V-karmi has no peace ever. When you're in the mode of passion, you get some enjoyment because you think at least I paid for this. But your sacrifice is sacrifice. So most materialistic people, they feel, oh, I'm working so hard, I'm doing so much, but at least I get my pleasure. You follow? The sacrifice is painful, and the pleasure has some pleasure. Then the mode of goodness is akarma. In akarma, you say, I'm not going to try to enjoy the results of my activities anymore. I don't want to be a fruit of worker. I want to become liberated. I want salvation. So then a person does karma yoga, and they're offering their sacrifice for the sake of their own purification. Now when they do that, then their sacrifice starts to become pleasurable. 424, everything merges into Brahman. And what to speak of when you're a bhakti yogi? So haven't we had experience that cooking prasadam can be enjoyable as eating the prasadam? Has everyone had this experience? Working hard for a festival can be as enjoyable as just going to the festival. Again, haven't we had this experience? What happens when you sacrifice not even just, not so you can pay for your material enjoyment, and when you sacrifice not even so you can become purified and liberated, but when you sacrifice as an offering to Krishna out of love, then the pleasure, which is the prasadam, is pleasure, and the sacrifice is pleasure. You can't even distinguish anymore. You can't even see anymore. Well, what am I doing as a sacrifice and what am I doing? What, what's the sacrifice part and what's the prasadam part? It all becomes prasadam. So the vikarmis try to get all pleasure by not doing any sacrifice. And we know that the real way to get pleasure is to sacrifice for Krishna. But in the beginning, you know, we may not get that. In the beginning, if we have this mentality, and most of us have to some extent a v-karma mentality in the present age, because that's just what's going on. 
So most of us have, we're, we're brought up in a society where we're taught, pay for things if you have to, but if you can steal and get away with it, that's better. Yes? Isn't that modern society? Because there's no God and there's no universal law, and etc. Et so at first we may feel, oh, it's a sacrifice. But gradually, therefore, the guru has to train us. Because sarvagatam brahma nitya yagya pratistita. Love is only found in sacrifice. It's just not found any place else. And when you do your, your sacrifice with love, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice anymore. You, you, you can't find the line. You know, where, where's the sacrifice and where's the pleasure? It's all, it all becomes pleasure. So some training may have to be there for those of us, at least people like me, who you know, have a tendency to be becomes. So I think we should stop now. Let us try today to trust God as our friend. Thank you. Hare Krishna.